1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Paul says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and purported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints." Now, when we left off last week, we were looking at the fact that we need to have our faith increased. That is something the Bible actually talks about. But we've always looked at it in the wrong manner. We always look at increasing our faith to think that we need more faith. And if you remember where we left off last week, we don't need more faith. We need a deeper understanding of who God is. You don't need more faith. Your faith is not tied to how much faith you have. Your faith, great faith or little faith, will be determined by the size of your God. When you see God for who he really is, your faith is going to grow. When you understand how big and loving and powerful he is, you will have an increased faith. And so let me remind you of how Jesus began to teach this to his disciples. Go to Luke 17 again, where we left off last week. Luke 17, verses 5 and 6. Paul said he wanted to help them increase where they were lacking in their faith. Well, in Luke 17, verses 5 and 6, it says, The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So they said, Lord, we need to have more faith. And he said, actually, if your faith is this small, you can move things. So it's not tied to how much faith you have. Folks, that's one thing that we have to allow the Spirit of God to help us grasp tonight. I'm going to show you some more scriptures that deal with this. Increased faith does not increase by you believing more. Increased faith will happen when you really, really see God for who He is. When you understand God for who He is, your faith will increase. When you believe that He's big and powerful and able to do everything that He said He will, your faith will increase just because you're God. You're seeing Him for who He really is. Go to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to show you how all through the scriptures, uh, the Bible's been talking about the fact that our, our faith should increase. Colossians chapter 1. So don't feel bad if I say you need to have an increase in faith or that you're lacking in faith. All of us should be growing in our knowledge of who? And God and of Jesus Christ. That's increasing your faith. The more you get to know him, the more you really understand who he is. And the more that happens, the faith, your faith will increase. Colossians 1, look at verses 3 through 14. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So they've heard of their faith and their love for faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for each other. So from the day we heard, 
We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk worthy, a walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and what? Increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul said to them, look, I've heard of your faith and your love for the other saints. Here's our prayer. Our prayer is that you would increase in your knowledge of the Lord. And by the way, the more we get to know the Lord, you're going to see later tonight, the more we're going to have a love for each other. The Bible's real clear that we're to get to know Jesus better. Go to Ephesians. Back up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. It's going to sound very familiar. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he goes on and explains that's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. So again, here he says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love for the saints. Here's how we've been praying for you. We've been praying that you would get to know Jesus better, that you'd come to understand even more the glorious inheritance we have in the saints, power available for us who believe. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verses 11 through 13 again. And now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. We're going to look at this more later, but who's the one that's making us increase? Jesus. Again, I need to spend a little bit of time here because this is an area that I've been stuck for a long time, and I think a lot of us have been stuck for a while. We spend too much time measuring how well we're doing. The focus is on us, and we've been taught that in the church, unfortunately. You need to live for Jesus. You need to do better. You need to give the best. You need to do your all. You need to, you need to, you need to. And Jesus all along has said, you can't do it, but I will. And what you need to do is believe that I will and let me do it through you. You've got to stop focusing on you and start focusing on me. Doesn't the Bible say if you walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh? But how many of us have been taught to fight the flesh by trying to say no to sin? We're putting our focus on sin and our ability to fight it. And by the way, if you're like me, that doesn't work too well, does it? Oh, you might even have a victory here and there and a small skirmish and feel pretty good about yourself. But then a day or two later, you're going to fall again. The Bible's real clear that our focus should be getting to know Jesus more. And the more you spend time with him, not learning about him, there's a big difference. There's too many people that can pass the written test, but can't pass the driving test. They know about the Lord Jesus, but do they know the Lord Jesus? Does their faith in their faith in the Lord Jesus, or is their faith in the Lord Jesus? Do you understand the difference? But Lord, we did this and we did that. Jesus said to those people, I never knew you. You put your faith in what you were doing for me, and you were looking at yourself. I wanted you to just put your eyes and your faith on me like a child. 
Can a child, our pastor preached about this this past uh, Sunday at, at First Baptist Merritt Island as he's going through the book of Mark. When a child is born, can the child do anything for themselves? No. The first thing they le learn to do is this, and look up. And that's how God wants us to stay with him at all times. Unfortunately, if you're like us, and when our kids get older, you started to hurt for them a little bit when they started to say, do it myself. And you think to yourself, oh, kids, you're just heading down a road that you don't even know. Because now all of a sudden you're going to be focusing on self, pride, and flesh. And that's a struggle I've already been down the road, my friend. <laughs> and that's no way to live. How many of us have ever thought, wouldn't it have been good to just stay a kid, not knowing what taxes are, not knowing what the bills are, and just, you know, God wants us to live that way. And so how do we increase our faith? We don't have more faith. We get to know Jesus more. And your faith will increase. Increase though in faith will also be evidenced by increased power for holy living and increased assurance of our salvation. Go to, go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read this to you again. Increased faith. Remember, that's getting to know Jesus more. 2 Peter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11. Increased faith will be evidenced by increased power for holy living and increased assurance of our salvation. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Do you have the divine nature of the nature of Christ within you? Yes. Colossians 2 verse 9 in Christ, the deity lived in bodily form fully, and you have received all fullness in Him. Don't listen to those who say, well, you need a second baptism or a second touch or another filling. You have already received all of God that you need. It's already been given to you everything. His divine nature has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Now, with that there, we need to know how to tap into it. And how we do that is we come to really know these promises and act on them. So it says here, by verse 4, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having already escaped the corrupt, from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love, for if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this, th this way, they'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, stick with me here. Because someone could take this passage and say, well, now you need to make every effort. You need to make every effort to add to your faith in all these things. And now all of a sudden, it sounds like it's back on us. But remember Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But verse 13 says, for it is God who works in us both to will, that's the desire, and to act according to his good purpose. In other words, when he says make every effort, what he's telling us to do is go to Jesus. 
How did you get saved? Did you effort yourself into salvation? Or did you believe what God had promised and you went to Jesus and said, I need this? That's how you live the Christian life. Oh, by the way, you're not going to be successful 100% from, the, from day one. It's going to be a process. And you're going to see this. He's, 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 he's predestined to conform us, a process, into the image of Jesus Christ. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. But he also knows that this is going to be a journey. That's why John, when he wrote in the Gospel of 1 John, he said, I write to you children. I write to you young men. I write to you fathers. In other words, we're all going to be in different levels of maturity, learning more and more about Jesus Christ. And folks, that's what I want to challenge you with today. Take your eyes off of whether or not you have enough faith and honestly get to know Jesus better. I'm not saying get to know about Jesus. There's lots of people that can tell you lots about Jesus, but they don't know him. Do you know him enough that you can talk to him, that you can just turn to him, that you can live like he's within you and he's your friend? Or do you have a relationship with him that is more head knowledge than heart knowledge and experiential does he comfort you? Does he encourage you? Or does, well, the whole idea about him feel good? There's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. You know, the Bible says there are baby Christians, right? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, look at verses 1 through 4. Paul says, my brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for if you're still of the flesh, for you're still of the flesh, for a while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So here he says, and of course they then... He goes on in verse 4 and says, one says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He says to him, look, I wanted to address you as more mature, but you weren't there yet. You're infants in Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, look at verses 11 through 16. And he, this is God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Wait a minute, did you catch that? There's a process of attaining to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be what? Children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ." from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part's working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I've taught on this passage many times about the fact that God has designed the church to do the work and the church is supposed to be, equipping, be equipped by the pastors, if you will, to be able to do the ministry. The church should be doing the work of the ministry, not the pastors. Yet at the same time, in the middle of this passage, he says that when you start actually Growing up into him who is the head, you'll no longer be an infant tossed to and fro by every wind, teaching and cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful schemes. And folks, let me just tell you, most Christians 
spend most of their time as a baby Christian or a child because they don't feed on the word themselves, learning to have Jesus teach them, them himself. They become followers of men. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. When you say, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, or I follow so-and-so, are you not just being merely men? I don't mind you asking me biblical questions. I get people every week throughout the country, if part, not parts of the world, calling or sending an email or a text having biblical questions. I don't mind that at all. I love it. But if that's all you get is Jim's going to answer my question, I'm a failure. I haven't taught you to go hear from Jesus yourself. And so I want to encourage you. There's nothing wrong with having teachers and preachers. The Bible says that's part of God's design. But our job is to minister the word. Feed you not only the word, but teach you how to feed yourself. My wife, Becky, teaches junior high girls at our church, and she loves that age group. I consider that pre-human, but she, she loves that age group. But one of her heart's desires for those two years that she has those junior high girls is to teach them how to feed on the word for themselves, how to get to know Jesus for themselves. Because honestly, she's only got them for a couple of years. She wants to just pour that into them, and that's her desire. And she's designed a curriculum with that in mind. Do you understand? So I'm going to ask you again, do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? Because that's why Paul said, I want to help you where you're lacking in your faith. I want to teach you more about who he is so that you can come to know him more. And Paul said, that's my prayer, that you'll all get to know him more. Go back to verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 3, though. We see Paul refer to Jesus' coming. Look at verse 13. He said, so that he, this is Jesus, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. By the way, you may not have caught this. I'm going to show it to you. This is actually the second time of four times in 1 Thessalonians that Paul actually references the coming of Jesus. We're going to start moving into some of that in the next few weeks, really starting to look at Paul's teaching about the coming of Jesus as he spent a lot of time in that, talking to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Sorry, in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to start looking at that. But go back to chapter 2, verse 19. You'll see the first time he referenced the coming of Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19, For what is our hope or our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? And he said that. So here in verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Jump over to chapter 4. Look at verse 15. In chapter 4, verse 15. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's a third reference of the coming of the Lord. Look at chapter 5, verse 23. In chapter 5, verse 23, may, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here are four direct references to the coming of Jesus. Now, he'd made an indirect reference in chapter 1, verse uh, 10 earlier, but it was an indirect reference to it. But the direct references are those right there, 219, 313, 415, and 523. But go back to 3.13, he puts something in this one that is going to be important for us a little bit later. Not tonight, but in a later part of our study. He adds that when Jesus comes, he's going to come with who? All his saints. His saints are going to come with him. 
When we get to chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and look at the rapture, and and we're going to dive into that in great detail. When we get to that, we'll deal with this more, so we're not going to spend much time at it. But when Jesus comes to gather his church, he's also going to bring with him all those who have already gone to be with him. They're going to get to come with him at that time. What a reunion. What a reunion that's going to be. But because of later on, we're going to really dive into that. I won't go into that much more tonight. But Paul says here that God's desire is to establish our hearts blameless in holiness to prepare us for that day. Look again. We touched on it, but I want you to see it. Verse 13 again. So that he, actually back up to verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. We need to let this truth begin to sink in. This holiness, this blamelessness is something that only he can do. You want to increase in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Well, then stop trying to. Believe that he will and spend time with him. It'll happen. It's like me wanting to get to know my wife, Becky, better by reading about her. Instead of spending time with her. Do you understand the difference? Now, the Word of God is very important because it helps us come to know truth from error. Recognize which spirit is talking to us and whether it's Jesus or whether it's not Jesus. But at the same time, and I hope to be used of God to help you because God's working in my life in this area as well. I need to I hope to be used of God to help you get to know Jesus better. Like I've told you before, we pastors don't ever write this down because we want, don't want you to find our lists. But we subconsciously rate all the church members. High maintenance, medium maintenance, low maintenance. Just going to be honest with you. You probably do the same thing. You've got friends that you think, oh boy, here they come. But you know who the high maintenance people were in the church or are? The ones who really don't have a close walk with Jesus. You know who the medium maintenance people are? The ones who are learning to walk with Jesus. And you know who the low maintenance people are in the church? People that walk with Jesus and understand the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. And they don't need us. That's why John, again, said, I write to you children. I write to you young men. I write to you fathers. And my challenge to you today, and God's challenge is this. Grow in the grace of the love and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in your love for each other. But don't try to do it. Believe that God will by just you spending more time with him. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verses 23 and 24. We already read verse 23, but I want you to catch on to verse 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. But he'll only do it if you let him. Jim, I've been trying to live for Jesus. That's the problem. Jim, I've been trying to get saved. What would you say to that person? Uh, You can't get saved unless you just surrender and give your life to Jesus. Stop trying to get yourself saved. Stop trying to live a better Christian life. Stop trying to be a good Christian, trying to be a good person. Believe that Jesus will give it to you and, and turn to him in faith. In the same way, there is only one Christian life that has ever been lived, and that was been lived by Jesus himself, and he wants to live it out again in each of us. He wants to be the one who does it. That way, when we get to this point 
when we look back at our life and we are rewarded for all these things that Christ did through us, we will have no trouble taking those crowns off and laying them at his feet because we know we didn't do it. Yet for years, I've shared with you, as I've shared with you in the past, as a young Christian, as even a, in the ministry, I didn't like that verse in Revelation that talked about us giving him our crowns because I knew my salvation, I couldn't earn it was a gift, but I had worked hard for those crowns. I had stored up treasure in heaven. I had busted my fanny. I had tried to be a really good Christian. And the whole idea of taking that off, <laughs> I had worked for that. Now I got no problem. Now I got no problem imagining myself giving that to him because you know what? All those things that I had thought I was earning, I'll never be rewarded for because it was of the flesh. But the things that I'll be rewarded for, I can look him in the eye and say, this is yours. I didn't do this stuff. And so I want to encourage you in that way. He will surely do it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Whenever anybody asks me to sign one of the books I've written, that's the scripture I always put in. I'll sign my name and put 2 Thessalonians 3.5. And I hope they go look it up. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. Folks, you want to you get set free in your walk with Jesus? Stop examining yourself. Let the Spirit of God do His work. You know what David prayed? Lord, you search my heart. You see if there be any wicked way, and you lead me in the way of everlasting. There's only two places in the Bible that I really see somewhat, the Bible say, examine yourself. The first one's in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, where it says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Is Jesus in you? Well, once you've examined yourself, and it's been confirmed by the Spirit that Jesus is in you, do you have to do that anymore? Is he ever going to leave? No, so if you know that he's in you, you're done with that one. Then the other time is when we take the Lord's Supper, it talks about examining ourselves to see whether or not as we take this meal, we're really living the Christian love that it represents. People have been taught that, well, are you examining the body and the blood and what Jesus knows? If you look at the context of that whole passage and that whole letter, he was saying, look, this isn't the uh, Lord's Supper koinonia meal that you're eating because you're not even loving each other. And so we need to examine yourself. Is the purpose of this meal, are you living it out? That was all it was. But besides that, Paul, as I've told you many times in 1 Corinthians chapter, two, uh, chapter 4, said this, I don't even examine myself, Paul said. I don't know of anything against myself, but that doesn't mean I'm thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who will show me. So I am learning. I'm with you, folks. I, I'm not, don't have me come across like I've got it all figured out. Just learn from me. No, I'm learning as well. Listen, the less I look at Jim and the more I spend time with Jesus looking at him, I look back and go, wow, all that stuff I was wrestling with, he did. Because, you know, when I have a really good week of me trying to be a good Christian, you know what I spend doing after that week? Patting myself on the back. I did pretty good today. Who gets the glory? Not Jesus, but me. Go ahead. But he's the one that started the good work in us. And he's the one that's going to finish it. You got it. That's it exactly. He's the one who starts it. He finishes it. But we have a responsibility. We don't just sit back and say, well, he's going to finish it. He's going to do it. No, we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. You've already received it. Now we need to partake of the precious promises. But what are the promises? 
Well, that you'll have power, you'll have all this, but no, well, how does he say we get it? He said, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I can't, I can't say it any more than just simply saying, get to know Jesus. Don't just learn about Jesus. There's lots of people that have been to a bunch of classes, discipleship courses. They've got all the certificates on how to share the gospel, but they don't know Jesus. Paul also, and everywhere, not just in this passage, go back to 1 Thessalonians 3, not only in this passage, but everywhere, prayed that God would cause them and us to increase in love for each other in the church and for everybody else. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look again at verse 12, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Jump over to chapter 4, look at verses 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For in, that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Now when you hear do this more and more, if you feel a sense of dread, if you feel a sense of, oh, come on, what does he expect from me? You still don't get it. It's not up to you. It's him who will do it. So, Lord, as I've shared with you in times past, the big turning point in my life, in our family's life, in our ministry's life, when it came to finances, was one day when I was reading how God wanted me to be generous. And then it hit me. God would never expect me to be something that he isn't. So that means that if he's generous, and I believe he'll take care of me, I can be generous. And it transformed how we live with our money and how we give and we share. And just and it's amazing what God does. But in the same way, if he's saying increase in love, is he just sitting back saying, well, I've already... No, his love is continually flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. Do you really understand the height and the width, the depth, the breadth? And I don't mean have you studied about it. Do you know how much God loves you? Have you spent time with him where you're just at that much of a peace? Uh, confidence? Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. There it is some more. And the love of every one of you for one another is what? It's increasing. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1, starting in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with a, the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Does that not sound familiar? 
It's almost word for word what we've been seeing in Colossians and Thessalonians. Paul says simply this, I'm praying that now that I know you're saved, I pray that you would grow in your knowledge of the Lord and your love for each other. Well, Paul, how do I do that? Just get to know Jesus more. I just want to help you understand who he really is. I want you to come to know him and how to, how to feed and how to, how to pray and how to receive and how to believe. And as you grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, what will automatically happen is you'll have a love for each other because the love of Christ that's going to be in you is just going to start splashing out on the people around you. By the way, have you ever noticed the difference between Christians who really have a genuine love of Christ and they just can't help it versus the ones who are trying? You know, like the ones who just literally in the midst of a struggle are at peace versus the ones who are saying, oh, God, give me peace right now. Oh, God, give me. You know what I'm saying? I want to move from, oh, God, give me peace right now, which is a baby step. To just being at peace in such a way that it's my natural reaction. That's going to be a process. And I pray that for you as well. Galatians, you don't have to turn there, verses 6, verses 9 and 10 said this. said, don't grow weary of doing good, for in due time you will reap if you don't give up. But with do good to everyone, especially who? The household of God. The household of faith. This love for others, which is produced by God in and through us, is what will establish our hearts in holiness before him. And then God had me write this in my notes in this way. I've never said this before in all my years of teaching. It's been 40 years almost of preaching the word of God. And he gave me something that I wrote down and thought, I like that. He can't say, I never knew you, to someone he's been living in and through. Let that sink in for a minute. He cannot say, I never knew you, to someone he's been living in and through. You'll never have a fear of ever, what if he says, I never knew you? See, because if you have that fear, you're still looking at you. But if you know that he's living through you, you've experienced his grace, you know his love, and your, your, your heart is at rest. If his spirit testifies with your spirit that you're his child, you don't have any fear of him saying, I never knew you, because you know him. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 now, verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us... By the way, let me just say real quick, I love Paul. He says, finally, like he's about done. Oh, there's a few more chapters. But I love that. That makes me feel better. They say that a definition of an opti optimist is a lady that puts her shoes back on when the pastor says, in conclusion. <laughs> Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you were doing, that you do so, what? Good grief, Paul, give me a break. Everything's more. Everything's more. Can I do enough for you? Am I not pleasing? Why am I? Is it, is, am I not doing enough, Paul? That, again, you're looking where? You're looking at yourself. No. He's just showing that, hey, we're supposed to be growing. There's, there's a level of love for each other that is Christ. That if we're honest, we don't have. Jesus can look at his own creation who are mocking him and spitting on him 
saying he's a half-breed, saying he's controlled by Beelzebub and the prince of demons, and he could still love them. He could look at a man named Judas and call him friend as he's already known that he's gone to betray him. He can continually cry out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When most of us know that's the right response, but we don't got it. And right now, as we watch what's going on in the world, many of us are struggling with the fact that God loves Hamas too. We got no problem with praying for Israel. But God wants Hamas to know him just as much as he wants Israel to know him. And in this time period, we need to understand that. Now, again, let the Lord work out his plan and let those governments do what they're supposed to do. But don't lose sight of the fact that God loves Hamas too. And if you're not there, you need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jim, I, I just can't do that. Good. You're ready now to let him. Years ago, I don't remember how many years ago it was, there was this man that went into an Amish village and killed all those children. And that people instantly forgave. I mean, instantly forgave the man. And I had people come to me, and I was a pastor at the time, going, I couldn't do that. And I said, neither could they. They couldn't do it either. But Jesus in them was the one who did. Paul moves his challenging of them to love each other more and more. Keep, look, look at what he says here. And you're going to move it to some specifics. So I'm going to tell you what I have in my notes, and then I'm going to go back and continue reading. Paul moves his challenging of them to love each other more and more to a challenge to live in a way pleasing to God. And we're to do this in increasing measure as well. So he's just said that we've taught you how you ought to walk and please God just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Remember, he's the one that's doing that. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like, in the, like the Gentiles who don't know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We're going to kind of stop here and spend the rest of our time tonight on this section. Paul gets very specific now in how we're to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And I want you to listen closely. He said, you want to live in a way that's pleasing to God? Abstain from sexual immorality. Now, folks... If you don't know this, and I hope you do, this is a serious problem in the world and in the church. Now, I don't have this in my notes, but as I was praying just beforehand tonight, I felt like God wanted me to bring out one thing. This battle, when it comes to the enemy, when it comes especially to sexual impurity, is because there is a spiritual concept and thing going on that's deeper. The Bible says that the husband-wife relationship was made as a picture of who? Christ and the church. The union sexually of a man and woman to become one flesh is a picture of the salvation relationship we have with God. Where he comes in us and we in him and we become one. And Satan hates God so much, he wants to blow up that even more. Also, Malachi tells us God's wanting to produce godly offspring. We've seen from Genesis that Satan's been trying to corrupt the gene pool you know, in lots of ways. So let me just say this to you. Don't be surprised that this is what's going on in the world 
This is where Satan really, really, really wants to attack because the sexual, the whole nature of man and woman, which he's trying to blow up, the whole sexual purity of man and woman, one man, one woman, no man separating, is something that is a part of God's design as a picture of his relationship with mankind, and it's deeply spiritual, and that's why it's under attack. Go to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to do this fairly quick, but I want to just give you a quick taste of the fact that all through the Bible, as Paul writes to Christians over and over, he has to say to Christians, avoid sexual immorality. Go to Colossians 3, look at verses 5 and 6. He's just said, since we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realm, set our minds there. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 8. Writing to Christians. He says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 16 through 21. Galatians 5, verse 16. So, but I say, walk by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are, these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Go over to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 20. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members or the body parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Never. 
Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. But I don't know how many of you caught that. Paul said, go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, that we must learn how to control our body. Did you catch that? This is a process. Why is Paul writing to Christians over and over and say, put to death sexual immorality? Abstain from sexual immorality. Stop living in sexual immorality. Why? Because Christians were still struggling with this even though they were born again. That's why he says, but this was how, who are some of you? But you were washed. You've been made clean. But Jim, didn't he say those who do these things won't go into heaven? He's saying those who live this way and are comfortable in this lifestyle, they don't have salvation within them. They don't have the Spirit of God. And that's why he says there at the end, he said, whoever rejects what I'm saying here doesn't reject man, but it rejects God. Judgment is coming on the world because of all this wickedness. Don't become partakers with them. Does that mean you won't be tempted? No, it doesn't mean that. Does that mean you won't struggle a little bit? No, it doesn't mean that. But you have within you the ability to say no to sin, but you don't do it by fighting Satan. You go do it by walking with Jesus. So I say walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We have to learn how to spend time with Him, talk with Him, pray without ceasing, be continually with Him, letting the Word of God meditate in our hearts, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, spending time with other believers. We need that encouragement. Because if you're like me, the times you struggle the most is when you're all by yourself. The silence means you're right. But we must learn how to control our own bodies. And the Bible says one of the evidence of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. But I thought you said it was, it was Him. Yes, but you have to go to Him. And if you say, I just can't help it, you either don't know who's in you, or you don't have Him in you. And only you can answer that question. Is Christ in you? Well, Jim... Then yeah, yes. Well, then if the answer is yes, you have the ability to say no to sin. You just can't say, well, I, I can't help it. Now, go back to verse 6, though, of 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at something else that he says here. Very interesting. He says, well, we'll go to verse 4, and then we'll get to verse 6. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor and holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord's an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Paul said, in the line of loving each other, don't transgress or wrong our brothers and sisters in this way, which is in sexual immorality. Folks, let me just tell you, and I think you already know this, but let me just say it anyway. Your sexual sin will have an effect on many others. Divorce, loss of trust, disease, abuse. And don't take this sexual immorality issue lightly. Listen closely. Even if, quote unquote, preachers 
say that sexual sin is approved by God. Oh, and by the way, there, there are plenty of churches out there that are teaching that now. That all different types of sexual sin is approved by God. Paul actually, and not only Paul, where they get that from is they've rewritten the Bible to fit their flesh. And many people say, Exactly. They take it from the freedom that we have, and God loves everybody, and therefore, if he loves me, he made me this way, and, and that's where the world is continuing to go. But actually, that's what the, they had to deal with that in the early church. Let me show you what I'm talking about. That was a great question. It leads right into where we're going. Go ahead. Go to Jude, verses 3 through 7. Jude, verses 3 through 7. This kind of false teaching had been out there all along. Because remember, Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all everything's beneficial. Folks, let me just tell you, if someone shares with you the gospel and your first natural inclination is not, so I am so forgiven that I could still sin and go to heaven. If you don't have that thought, you didn't hear the gospel. Yes, that's what the gospel is. That's the grace of God. You've been set free. You've been forgiven. You've been washed clean. You've been given freedom in Christ. He put his spirit within you, sealed you as his, marked you as his. And you say, well, then I can just do whatever I want. God says to you, good luck. Give that a shot. You won't be miserable. You'll be miserable. You'll be grieving the spirit, quenching the spirit. You'll open yourself up for more discipline. And ultimately, you may go home early. But if you're saved, folks, you're that forgiven. That's the grace of God. Jude looks into verses 3 through 7. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. If you know anything about Romans 7, Paul said, it's no longer I who do it, but sin lives in me. And someone could say that and say, look, it's no longer you who does it. You're forgiven. It's the sin that's in you. And there was a form of Gnosticism that was teaching in the early church. You're, what you do in the flesh is not going to affect you because you've been made new in the spirit. Your body's going to the grave. You can do whatever you want with your body. You've already been made new in the spirit. And there were those who were teaching that you could sexually sin and it wasn't an issue. By the way, if you do a study of the scriptures, sexual sin was a problem all the way back in the Old Testament as well. All the way back to the nation of Israel in the wilderness. When Moses went up on the mountain, what did they all start doing? Well, they said, well, he's gone. What are we going to do? They started having sex parties down there. And God said, get out of the way, Moses. I'm going to wipe them all out. Why did he destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Because of the sexual sin that was going on. Beware of those who teach that it's okay. It's not okay. Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 13. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says this. He said, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. If we really understood how forgiven we are, we'd have a joy and a peace. And I've found the longer I let this truth sink in, the more I spend time with Jesus. I stop spending as much time trying to fight sin, and I spend more time just resting in the fact that I'm forgiven and loved. And when I really let those truths sink into my heart, guess what? I don't even want to sin. But when I try to fight sin, I shouldn't do that. Shouldn't look at these things. Shouldn't think of those things. Shouldn't do this. Shouldn't do that. That's a struggle, buddy. It's wearisome. 
But that's why we need the armor of the Lord. We need to put our eyes on Him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. In 1 Peter 2, verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. 2 Peter 2, verses 18 and 19. Talking about these false teachers. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. But like we touched on, and we're going to close with this tonight in the time we have left, we need to learn to control this area of our lives with God's help and God's power. I am not saying you all need to go say no to sin. I'm not saying just abstain from sexual morality. You've tried. What I'm saying is learn how to spend time with Jesus and watch him give you victory in these areas. Go to Romans chapter 7. I touched on this passage. Look at verses 15 through 24. Romans 7 verse 15. Paul says, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I think we all understand that. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members, my body parts, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members, my body parts. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, so listen closely now. He goes on in chapter 8 to continue. Look at verses 1 and following. There therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jump over to verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Doesn't that sound familiar? Didn't Paul pray, we read earlier tonight in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 19, that knowing of your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints, 
I pray that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened. Do you know the spirit of revelation? Do you know Christ better? Do you know hope to which he called you? The glorious inheritance we have in the saints. And the mighty power available to us who believe. The same power that did what? Raised Jesus from the dead. What did Paul say at the end of chapter, 11, chapter 7? Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jump to verse 11 of chapter 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. In 1 Corinthians 10, do we have time to look at it? Yes, we do. You're listening quick tonight. We'll be able to finish. 1 Corinthians 10, look at verses 1 through 13. Many of us know verse 13, but do we know the whole context of the verse 13? 1 Corinthians 10, look at verses 1 through 13. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it. How come God is so active in my temptation? Because he's designed it so that we would do what? Go to him. If he saved us and made us new creations and the old is gone, the new has come, why are we still in these bodies of flesh? so that we would rely on Him, that we would turn to Him. Jesus doesn't want you to be a good church member. Jesus wants you to come to know Him. Oh, as you come to know Him, He's going to put within you a love for everyone, and you're going to want to be around other people in the church and get plugged into your local congregation. But listen to me. The prayer of God for all of us is that we would know Him better. Don't take classes about him. Get to know him. Begin to say things like this. Lord, your word said this. I want to experience that. Lord Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. That song, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants after you. I can sing the words, but I don't feel that. Could you put that in me? Would you give me a hunger for you? Would you wake me up with a desire just to spend time with you? And may I not judge myself, good or bad, if I think of you in the morning or don't think of you in the morning. May I just believe that you're going to, and Lord, would you do this work? Lord, I want to get to know you more. I want to really come to know you more. Would you do that? Would you give me that desire? Folks, listen to me. The Bible says if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us.
And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the things we ask. So don't try to be a better Christian. Go spend time with the Christ. I love you. We'll see you next week.